everybody. Welcome to another round of the One Million by One Million podcast. I'm here with Spencer Crowley from London. First Minute Capital is a firm, and we're going to learn about their investment thesis in today's conversation. Spencer, welcome to the show. Sean, thanks so much for having me. So tell us about your firm. Tell us about yourself. Let's get acquainted. Definitely, definitely. So uh, we're a, a new seed fund because obviously that's what the world needs is more more new seed funds. Um, and so we're based in uh, based in London. Uh, we launched last summer, summer of 2017, and we're a hundred million dollar uh, size. And we're backed predominantly by uh, tech entrepreneurs. Um, so we have about mm-hmm. 50. Uh, 50 founders of technology businesses invested in the fund, uh, of which uh, we're, we're proud and energized um, by the fact that 30 of them are, are unicorn founders. And then we also have a couple of institutional investors, such as Tencent from China, uh, and some others, a uh, mixture of kind of tech-savvy um, uh, CEOs and family offices. So the, the, the DNA of our investor base is a, um, uh, hopefully a slightly unusual one. That's great. And so tell me a little bit about how did this come together? Um, how did you get to these 30 unicorn founders? Where are they from? What uh, are the European unicorns? Are they international unicorns? And, uh, and, and how, what's the genesis of the firm? Definitely, definitely. So we, we, we went to them with a, with a mandate of saying that we wanted to turbocharge seed investing uh, across Europe and also allocate a third of our funds uh, to U.S. companies uh, when investing alongside uh, friends and funds that we know well on the East Coast and on the West Coast. Um, and uh, the, the context was, well, I guess it helps having a much more um, successful uh, and, uh, and legitimate co-founder in, uh, in Brent Hoberman. Uh, and Brent uh, is a well-known figure uh, in Europe uh, who started uh, lastminute.com back uh, in 1998, ipo that. Uh, two years later, um, uh, at the height of the, the dot-com boom, and then that sold that business in 2005 um, for just over a billion dollars. So that was one of Europe's um, early, uh, really uh, kind of uh, successes in the digital uh, space. And he he then went on to found a co co-found uh, his, his so his co-founder of, of LastMinute.com was an amazing woman called Martha Lane Fox, um, who's now on the board of Twitter and many other things. Uh, and then after that, he went on to co-found a cluster of other businesses, um, one of which is Made.com, uh, which uh, has been a big e-commerce success here in Europe. And then uh, Founders Forum was an event for entrepreneurs that he started in uh, in uh, 2005-2006. That is been going since uh, and has started to build out a cluster of other uh, companies all under uh, a founder's umbrella, uh, including a consultancy or recruitment firm, uh, uh, Europe's largest incubator accelerator, um, etc., um, as well as starting a seed fund called ProFounders in, in 2009. So there was, when we went to market in 2016, there was a, a uh, sort of two-decade-plus hinterland or, or context of, of Brent having been a, a leading figure in, in, in the tech uh, ecosystem here in Europe. Um, and so that was really uh, the, the kind of the, um, the call to arms to these uh, tech founders was to say that we would love to um, 
create a fund that can help the founders that we back have a have a competitive advantage, an unfair competitive advantage. Um, so that's really how we saw it. Very interesting. I I just looked up Brent on the on LinkedIn, and he and I have three hundred and thirty one mutual connections. I'm I'm surprised you haven't met before, Sarah. <laughs> when, when, when you when you come to London in a week or two, you must uh, you must, uh, you must meet. <laughs> uh, anyway, so all right, let's uh, let's talk about your definition of seed. Tell us about uh, what do you like to invest in stage wise, and how do you how do you define seed? And I'll I'll pre qualify that question by giving you some context. You know, we're at least in Silicon Valley, uh, seed has fragmented. You know, seed has fragmented into pre-seed, seed, post-seed, pre-series A, small series A, and then the traditional series A. So how does, uh, how does it look like from your point of view and the European landscape? In this week, I've heard I've heard seed twos, mango seeds, seed extensions. So <laughs> I think <laughs> the semantics here have got uh, have got very imaginative. Um, but I think you know I think for us we uh, we set up the fund to be deliberately opportunistic. And by that, I mean both invest in the best founders that we see anywhere, um, but also to be uh, nimble in terms of being sector agnostic whilst having and holding um, deep theses across uh, a number of areas. But we really wanted to be able to, um, to kind of be agile and be able to back founders wherever we see them. So that's meant in terms of stage to your, to your question, we have invested in founders pre-product. Um, uh, obviously pre-revenue, who, who we uh, either knew and had a, some kind of informational advantage or, or we were blown away by. Um, and so that's obviously been first money into the business and some of those valuations are, uh, are high uh, because of the founders having successful backgrounds. Um, by high, you know, I'm thinking in the sort of 15 to $20 um, uh, million dollar, uh, wow. post-money value range we have seen some of those um, uh, and those are really high successfully uh, sort of repeat entrepreneurs who have a really impressive track record uh, and kind of there's a there's a uh, and a clear understanding of why they're going after that particular space and why their skill set might be suited to building a really giant business um, then obviously you have we've invested in rounds where we're the first money into a, a business at a much earlier valuation or a lower valuation I should see um, and that, then that stretches to um, businesses that have been going for some time. Uh, a, 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 an announcement we made just two weeks ago was in a, a business called Futurely, um, F-U-T-R-L-I. Um, and uh, you know, when we met Hannah, the founder, uh, she had already uh, was on a two million pound uh, ARR uh, run rate and had uh, been growing the business for several years, had a, had a reasonably large team and had bootstrapped the business effectively to date. So um, the, there is a, uh, there's a range that we've done. Um, and I think we we avoid getting into full-blown Series A uh, sort of scraps, just because it's you know we're 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 a decent-sized fund for a seed fund, but in obviously in the scheme of um, global venture funds, we're we're uh, we're small, so we we avoid A, a rounds uh, in general, but we have done the odd um, what you might call very early A, um, but otherwise seed for us can mean any of the tags that we that you and I just rattled off um, before. 
And what size checks do you like to write? In general, I'd say we're gravitating around the million-dollar mark. Um, okay. We've written. We've written larger tickets. Our largest ticket was 1.5 million pounds, so just under $2 million. Um, and we have gone down to tickets of uh, $250,000, but, but we tend to do those uh, less frequently now. We did one or two in, in the kind of early um, days of the fund uh, when we were finding, our, uh, finding our, our feet and our voice as a fund and scaling out the team. But I think unless it's a Unless it's uh, irresistible, we're unlikely to do tickets certainly below $500,000, and we'll really um, uh, put uh, most of our efforts into writing uh, the kind of ballpark million-dollar million ticket. Okay. Terrific. So um, let's talk about geography. You said pan-European, and also a third of the fund is allocated for American uh, deals. So I'd like to parse that a little bit. Pan-European, so, or really pan-European, you would invest anywhere in Europe, yeah? Yes, and until March the 29th, um, pan-UK is included in Europe, um, <laughs> in the EU. Um, so we, uh, we very much see ourselves as pan-European, and we've made investments into companies that are based in uh, Paris, in Porto, uh, in Warsaw, in Berlin. We're actively looking at a business in Stockholm at the moment. Um, we, uh, you know, we, we have a good range of uh, strong relationships with some of the top founders, but also angels and VCs, early stage VCs in, in some of the key geographies across Europe. Um, uh, and uh, so, so our view there is that is that uh, in general we will be looking at European businesses that have a, a continental ambition. So we'll even in the larger markets such as France and Germany and the UK, um, we will tend to back businesses that want to uh, scale across different across different geographies. Um, and so therefore we think we can hopefully help any European business um, uh, with with a layer of connectivity and support. Um, so it's not it, it involves uh, a reasonable amount of travel, and we have a and we have a a, a, a probably a, a team that's on the larger size for seed, um, but that's to help us cover the ground effectively and, and really leverage relationships with uh, with some of the key players in those respective geographies. Okay, interesting because uh, we just announced a partnership. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, with EIT uh, Health, uh, the European Institute of Technology and Innovation, um, their digital health part of the uh, you know, accelerator. And they are going to be accelerating 115 companies with us. So the first 15 has been named, and the, the next 100 are going to be named in uh, early December. So we, we are I've just, a lot I've of just on, your, uh, on your blog post. It seems, uh, um, how did that come about? That seems really impressive and exciting. Well, um, we have very deep connections in Europe. Uh, I am married to an European, and in fact, uh, my husband, Dominique Trumpin, was uh, uh, Steve Jobs' right hand at Next and he's on the board of one of your British uh, media conglomerates, DMGT, you know, the Daily Mail Journal yeah. Trust group. So, I'm, uh, as, as I'm talking to you, I'm actually in the day. I'm, I, North Cliff House is the, is the building. Oh, uh, I go there often too. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that's where I am. I'm the fourth floor of Northcliffe House. So. <laughs> All right. So no, you know yeah. what you're talking about, and I. Uh, right. So Dominic, um, you know, knows a lot of people in that sector, and also his alma mater is Louvain University in Belgium, and. Um, uh, the Conrad Debacher from from Louvain is very very um, involved in EIT. He's on the board and, and of EIT Health and so forth. So that's how this all came about. And uh, you know, one thing led to another, and and we started working together. So it's been a really really nice partnership in that, you know, we kind of are exactly what they needed um, in terms of their evaluation. They were looking for. Uh, you know, a deep curriculum and, and, and a, you know, deep network. And we have all of that. And it's, it's been around for now a long time. So it's, it was very, it's been a very, very interesting partnership to uh, develop. And we just announced it a couple months, uh, actually just a little over a month ago. Um, and and is it, is it, is it, as a sector, is it a particular passion of yours? Is it a sector you've been looking at for, for very for closely for well, a long time? You know, uh, we only do technology and technology-enabled services, and that's IT, not biotech, not uh, clean tech. Um, so digital health within the um, IT sector is a very big sector. So we go wherever the trends are. Um, I, I believe personally that digital health is a gigantic opportunity for the next decade. And, uh, you know, whether it's applications of AI, whether it's applications of various kinds of monitoring, big data, et cetera, there's a tremendous amount to be done in that segment. So uh, so it's not so much personal passion. It's just a, a, a very clear observation that that's an area, that's a problem domain that needs to be solved. And I think there's so much that should be done, could be done, that hasn't been done yet. It's it, those kinds of segments tend to yield very good venture uh, investments, very good entrepreneurial outcomes. Okay, so in that sense, yes, it is a passion. My passion is anything that can be a good business for my entrepreneur community. I, I hope it means that we get to see you more, uh, much more often in Europe and in London. <laughs> yeah, and, and absolutely. And, and also we should, uh, we should look at some uh, opportunities together. Absolutely. So tell, speaking of sectors, what are your sectors? Where are you uh, looking and, and where do you want to place your bets? We've uh, been broad to date. Uh, we have invested in a range of businesses from a, uh, a company uh, based in Cambridge here in the UK, uh, building software for self-driving. Uh, we are actually in San Francisco uh, this week. Uh, we have backed uh, a number uh, of D2C businesses um, from a UK fuel delivery business called Zebra to, uh, to a couple of others in the more uh, traditional e-commerce world. We have backed a wireless charging platform called Chargeify, which we invested alongside Intel and, and Hewlett-Packard. Um, we uh, have backed a number of businesses in the blockchain space, um, some of which are uh, steadily coming out of um, stealth as, as, uh, as we speak. Um, we have started to look closely at 
uh, well, two operating systems, one in the, in the, uh, in the synthetic biology space, um, and really built, which is building a programming platform. Um, we have looked, um, I'm scanning across the geographies in my mind, we've invested in a, uh, an exciting gaming business um, uh, in Germany. Uh, we have looked uh, at uh, a number of businesses across, you know, when we think about AI, we, we, we tend to look at and horizontal AI businesses that are attacking a, a very specific use case. And so one uh, in NLP, in natural language processing, which uh, is working uh, with uh, one or two of the larger banks here in the UK. Um, and yeah, we, it, it's been, I think, for for us there, and it's now got to a stage of the fund's life a year and a half in where there are probably three or four sectors where we're spending increasing time as, because we feel we, we're super excited about the space but maybe haven't placed as, uh, as many bets as, uh, as we would have liked um, and so we've been spending uh, quite a lot of time in the last couple of weeks uh, both on, on food tech as an area uh, and mm -hmm. also kind of digital health broadly something we've spent a lot of time as a team on but I think it's, it's, there's an interesting um, dynamic there with, with the NHS here in the UK which is obviously a giant entity um, and can have quite a high barrier to entry sometimes um, uh, the flip side of that being that if, if you can um, crack distribution through the complex web of, of myriad NHS entities then that's also a, a very big opportunity so I would say um, as you can tell it's been uh, certainly been uh, broad. Uh, we've also uh, start. You know, we backed in, in 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 Tel Aviv. We backed a cybersecurity business focused on medical devices. Uh, we did the seed for that, and and one of the, the leading Israeli funds followed us in the A round. Um, so we we've uh, it's been. Uh, I think we we as a team see ourselves as as generalists. There are obviously areas where. Um, where colleagues start to focus more on particular areas, um, mm -hmm. uh, but I think we we re remain resolutely generalist um, and founder driven as a fund, as opposed to sector uh, or thesis driven. I would say. Okay, what are some of the highlights of your portfolio firms that are uh, startups that are doing really well? And uh, and tell us about what stage and what. Uh, condition did you encounter them in when you chose to invest in them and what is it about them that struck you that caused you to place the bet? Sure. Um, I have to think through my head which, which, uh, which are public and which are not now but um, some of the ones that um, I mean to take an example a, the, the gaming business I mentioned in uh, in uh, in Berlin, a business called Klang, um, that's K-L-A-N-G, um, we invested uh, in the A round uh, uh, at the beginning of this year. Uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Elliot uh, O'Connor, sourced that business uh, actually actually by trailing tra trailing through a list of of 2,000 names at uh, at Slush, the um, uh, the uh, the conference uh, in Helsinki that you'll know well, and uh, we m he, he met them there and 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 started to. Uh, 
open a dialogue with them and building the rest of the team. Um, they're building an MMO, a massively multiplayer online game, um, on uh, that they are now, their initial title is called Seed, um, and they were, the business was founded a couple of years uh, ago, but it really we felt timing would have become uh, really very interesting. Um, and they have, when we met them, they had had success with an initial title, um, but we're really now looking for funding to um, double down on the team uh, and work towards uh, their vision as a desktop game on uh, on how to create uh, a, a world that was um, that was evolving and is is immersive not in the VR sense but in the experiential sense and uh, within about um, must have been about five or six months um, they had a uh, a strong Series A round uh, that was was led by North Zone, the, the European VC fund that backed Spotify, um, as well as some other great investors like Makers Fund, which is a strong gaming fund, uh, uh, spun out of Tencent. Um, so I think there, there it's, it's there's still some way out in terms of uh, in terms of uh, publishing the games that they want to, but they. Uh, really, to us, had felt that they proved a lot by uh, attracting great talent uh, from uh, from some of the largest and most relevant players in their space. And uh, we, you know, that was, I think, an example of something where uh, it felt, uh, in a, in a way, as a parallel, it felt like kind of uh, backing a, a Hollywood studio to, to produce a big hit um, as a sort of loose analogy. Um, and we, and we, we really believed in, in the founding team's ability to, um, uh, to now that you know, with, particularly with the additional funding that's given them a, a runway that is. Sizable, uh, we think the next two years could be really exciting for that business. So that's an example, relatively unusual one of whereas I'd say probably the majority of our investments were either um, referrals from uh, other, uh, well, from uh, founders or from uh, from uh, our investor base or from the, the relationships that the team have kind of cultivated. That was more of a uh, finding a needle in the haystack um, from, uh, from from one of my colleagues. So I would say that perhaps is a um, not necessarily a typical example, but one that uh, one that at least feels like it's uh, very much on the right track. Cool, cool. Now, um, give me a sense of how you think about um, unicorn hunting. You know, in Silicon Valley, most VCs are unicorn hunting. You happen to have a fund size that allows you to do not just unicorn hunting, but also you could be investing in companies that would have, you know, be built in a capital-efficient manner and could have 200, 300 million exits and you could still be making tons of money of those kinds of deals. What is your perspective in, on the general sense of exits, unicorns, etc.? Yeah, it's, it's a good question because I think it's... Um, it's not always as obvious as it as it might seem. Um, I think I think that we would uh, we would lean on the side of the sort of accepted wisdom that that you would uh, you you want to be investing in businesses where you can see a plausible, uh, if unlikely, unlikely purely just in terms of uh, probability, not not nothing more, um, but but a plausible path. To an outcome that would result in 
in returning the fund, um, and that's obviously going to be a factor of uh, of of the the ownership that you have when that business exits, whatever that exit is. Um, and so I think we do subscribe to that. I think there are um, there are the the the, the businesses that uh, often generate the most. Um, heated exchanges uh, in in uh, in our investment committee around those that feel like they have a a high probability of a uh, of a lower exit. Uh, nonetheless, still a, a successful uh, of, of founders who you would absolutely back to build something of substance and of meaning, um, but of you know perhaps in the fifty to one hundred million dollar range uh, rather than uh, rather than north of that. Um, we we tend to. Uh, avoid investing um, in in those uh, impressive nuggety uh, businesses, or, uh, rather than uh, rather than uh, rather than try to take very large ownership stakes. We, it's unlikely we would do a deal where we try to take you know 25% of a business on the on the on the basis that we think it'll um, it'll be likely to have a, a quote unquote smaller outcome. Um, I think we would rather. Uh, lean on the side of picking really ambitious uh, and kind of relentless uh, and authentic founders going after huge market opportunities at the right timing, being able to uh, build a stellar team around them uh, and underwrite the risk um, uh, that way, but nonetheless take a view that this is a uh, that the, the, the unicorn outcome is is possible. Um, it may not be the most likely outcome, but one that we can see a path towards. So you're in in a nutshell. You're still looking at unicorn exits as the pre- preferred investment uh, pieces. Co- correct. The reason the the reason I gave you the 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 yeah. The, I understand the, the reason. Wash, wash it the answer is just financial wisdom of venture capital. So absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a reason why people speak in uh, unicorns. Yeah. Uh, we, we've debated it at length. It's not something that we kind of took um, uh, as uh, as a, as a uh, took as gospel kind of from day one. It's something that we uh, that we've debated in a lot of frequency because I think I think the counter to it is it's always hard to um, you know if you many founders who you speak to who have got reached that unicorn status didn't necessarily start their business with that explicit goal in mind. Um, uh, in fact, probably many didn't. Um, it was you know it's a more organic process of building a business and scaling and uh, and seeing how it goes and and what the opportunity costs in life are and how the momentum is, how the market is, and it, something may go much better than expected and drive people to stay longer at their businesses. So I think in a way it's a it is a very um, VC question in terms of you know when you're meeting a seed stage company and they're raising I don't know three million at ten to to really have a, a meaningful internal debate on is this a two hundred million or a billion dollar exit is in a way a, a little bit academic because it just the, the 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 amount of unknowns is so significant um, but I think what is perhaps perhaps a better way of putting it is is it would be a red flag to us. If an entrepreneur said, um, you know what, if I get a 50 million acquisition in a year's time, I'm taking it. Um, now, that may be a completely understandable uh, life decision for uh, an entrepreneur based on, you know, return of, return of, uh, um, uh, in turn of investment on their time and, uh, and indeed investors' money. But I think we feel that if, they, if that is their goal, or at least if that is their frame of mind as they approach 
um, building their business, then that may lead to decisions that they take that optimizes, uh, you know, perhaps it's optimizing for profit over growth or et cetera, et cetera. I think it, it, it informs decisions that they take in those very formative first two or three years of the business. So um, I think it's, it's sort of a little bit hubristic of VCs to, to, to get too confident about what outcome they think it, this business will be. I think it's more of a understanding the mindset of the entrepreneur and whether he or she wants, wants to build something of real um, scale versus uh, seeing a, a kind of the door ajar and going for a market gap and saying, you know what, I'll cash out when I can, which is a completely, as I say, a decision that I would respect individual, uh, but perhaps not um, one that I would want to invest uh, our funds right. money into. So, you know, what we say in our practice is just like it's really important to get product market fit, it's also very important to get investor entrepreneur fit. And, uh, and, and what you're saying is basically that is some investors are, have different investment thesis. Some entrepreneurs have different goals. And, uh, you know, so I, I think you kind of have to align all these goals and choices in life. And somebody, an entrepreneur who's taking money from a traditional venture fund should be aware of the expectation that they're going to have to really kind of work super hard and super intensely to get to what um, you know what they call blitz scaling right really fast growth uh, five to seven year path to a hundred million dollars in revenue kind of metric and that's that's a very intense path and that's a very you know low probability path because hyper growth is not a natural state in business so that that's kind of where we leave this is that you know, there are many ways to succeed. Uh, a company that gets a 50 million to 100 million exit with a capital efficient cap table is also a success. It's just not the success that your firm or equivalent investment thesis firms are looking for. It's, it, there's no value judgment on it. It's just that's the way it is. C- completely right. And, and of course, you know, it, it, the in a portfolio of venture investments, there will very likely be um, be outcomes in, in that range that you mentioned. Um, uh, it's just that perhaps for some of those, they ended up being a $50 million you know, uh, strategic acquisitions by someone because that entrepreneur um, you know, sweated blood and tears to try to build a, a, a $500 million business, but it didn't quite play out for, for timing or, you know, whatever, whatever reasons may be the case. So I think it, um, uh, I completely agree with how you phrased it, and, um, uh, and I wouldn't in any way um, uh, make any uh, judgment on, on, on that front, but I think, I, think you, I think your assessment was spot on. All right. On that note, I'm going to... Say goodbye to the to the listeners, but Spencer, please stay on the line so that we can talk about getting together in London in a moment. Audience, thank you for listening. And uh, as you know, we have weekly mentoring sessions. You can go to the website and look at free public roundtables and sign up for a slot on that schedule. And suit yourself, whatever works on your schedule is fine. It's a safe working session. We'll look at your problems and and, uh, see how to address those roadblocks. And if you're visiting Silicon Valley or if you're local to Silicon Valley, come to one of the 
One M by One M Rendezvous in Silicon Valley at Cafe Boroni. And uh, that schedule is also on the website under Rendezvous. So one way or the other, see you soon, and we'll be back with another edition of the One M by One M podcast.